Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborgian Life Live. Today we're going to be talking about the meaning of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm Curtis Schultz, I'll be your host. To my left, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for coming and hanging out. Nice to be here, Curtis. To all of you, like and subscribe. It's going to be good. Come on, can you trust us by now? And enter your elevator pitch ideas in the oh. chat. Is there anything you'd like to see us struggle with, fumble mm. over for a minute of totally unprepared commentary on some Swedenborgian topic of your choosing that you want to hear a little more about and know the value of? Let us know in the chat. We'll get it up there. We'll pick two lucky ones and we'll see what happens here. So we're, st we're stuck here doing this show and there's a very good reason for it. That's right. This is all prompted by you. We respect your inquiring minds. What you want to know about, we want to do our best to talk about. There was a show we did not so long ago, which is another uh, infamous Bible story where Noah oh. drinks wine and gets drunk. And we, in the course of that show, explored that story and what it meant and why it's relevant and why it's helpful. And we got this question on that show from Sheila Montgomery. Could you please do an episode on Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? So people are calling out for this. That's Does right. Swedenborg say anything about that story? Is that a real not symbolic story. Mm. Because this is a story that includes destruction of cities from That's above, right. pillars of salt. Fire and brimstone coming down and, from and, the sky. And from God, mind you. That's so right. So what's going on here? What is this doing in divine revelation? And how can it be anything that actually is useful in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah. Right? That's, that's yeah. what we're up against here. And how we're going to start is we are going to answer a qu personal question about ourselves, which mm. is how you always start this stuff because it all is connected. Let's take a look at our icebreaker. Here's where we start to get a sense of what is the internal practical meaning of this story. And we're going to begin by turning that lens in on the self and see what, what can we ask. This and, and by the way, you guys know this, right? As we answer this question here, you all hopefully are answering it in the chat. Or if you're watching afterwards, just write it in a comment. At the end of this show, all the ones we got live here, we're going to read your answers to it. So we, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do our best, but then That's we'll right. learn the truth from you. That's okay, right. here's the question. Icebreaker is, can you think of a painful ending of something that cleared the way for a positive new beginning? or a bad habit that finally gave way to something better. So, yeah. okay, I can start. Okay, okay. I, I have something very uh, relevant to our current situation. It's actually th how I got here, really. So I, I in, a pr in a job, not right before I was working here for with Off the Left Eye and Swedenborg Foundation, uh, I was with another group of people, and we were working on a Swedenborgian project, and it was, we, I really liked the people I was working with, and we were working really hard, and mm. a lot of stuff that I did there sort of laid the foundation. Actually, off the left eye, I started when I was working there, and so it was just this cool synergy, and it was, uh, but because of like the 2008 financial crash, all these other sorts of things, we ran out of money, and uh, we had to, to stop working there, right? Mm. And I remember when, when we were getting laid off, uh, just like, I actually had that sadness where like you can't you, you see some people on TV and they're sad so they stop giving their speech yeah and you think it's just they're being modest or they don't want anyone to see yes, right in cer at certain times you get sad to where whatever it is your vocal cords get wrapped up in something and you just really can't talk and I yeah. had that and it was really sad wow. but I you know I moved on from there and here I really feel like it's the culmination of, of what mm. I, what was starting to be built there. So it seems like this is exactly what I want to be doing now. And this is, you know, this was the next right step. So to me, it's like, you know, if, if any of you are glad that I'm here, it, I didn't know, it didn't always <laughs> seem like it would be like that. It seemed yeah. at the time like this is the ending and the death of something. So, so painful that your throat closes, but then there's something good that you're not aware of that's, that's right. coming in the offing and... Uh, yeah, in, in my own life, there was a particularly difficult phase where uh, my w wife passed away of brain cancer. Right. And I, at, at the same time, I finished my PhD, and so I started working, teaching, uh, but I felt I'm single parenting, and, I'm, and it, uh, something about my career just felt empty, like I was rushing and rushing to get here, and then I don't know what I'm doing. And... and uh, 
I really felt the way I've described it to people is like I was in the Sargasso Sea or something like I was just kind of stalled out in my life. I didn't know like, well, what was all that buildup for and yeah. why did I get my PhD and, and every, where's my life going? And it was only, in retrospect, it was only a few years before the New Century Edition started, which is my, my whole life ever since. And uh, so that painful, very painful period of personal loss and also kind of career kind of question marks and everything yeah. l led to this great thing that <clears throat> didn't even exist when I was having that. But a couple of years later, it started and I got to be in there on the ground floor. And, you know, uh, I, it's, it's been great ever since. So that's, well, hey. that's an example. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. So w that, that's from our lives. What's going on in yours? And... Uh, you know, something as intense as what you're talking about, even then to see like, okay, now I'm somewhere that, that, that I was able to do, you know, because of yeah, everything that's, that's, right. that's come before. That's right. So get your answers in. Now, why are we here thinking about this kind of stuff? Haven't, did you remember what the episode's about? Did you get wrapped up in it? We're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah here and cities being destroyed by fire and all, all that. Hmm. What does that have to do with what we just discussed? Well, let's get in now to the setup. So the end part of the question from our viewer was, did, that, did this story actually happen? Or was it symbolic? Yeah, and so right. the answer is both. Swedenborg asserts that certain parts of the Old Testament, particularly the earliest stuff, the creation story, that's not literal, that that didn't happen. That's right. But there's a time at which it switches over, and this, these are actually events that took place, but all of those events were engineered to be symbolic, that they're correspondential at the same time. That's right, and and the way they're written down, I think, yeah. contains a, a meaning and everything. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. right. And he's, I wonder the, the supernatural elements of this story. Do you think that they really happened, or does he say that they really happened, or I mean, or he doesn't he, comment on that, he, or it, it doesn't seem like he really wades into that specifically. But yeah. generally, he says no. All all this stuff. Okay. You know, all this stuff ha happened, and um, uh, but the meaning that he puts on it is so, so interesting to me. Okay, so we paid lip service to the, is it, did it really happen or not? But here is the meaning that he puts on this story. Right, right. The, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is a correspondence of a whole collective situation of the human race when Jesus was on earth and also something that we all go through and, and suffer from. You know, it's, it's about something, yeah. push coming to shove, and the end of a state. Because you, that's always, you can't say this is a story about God as Jesus uh, on the earth and dealing with the human race and not say it's also about us because these things are, like the cycles that were established then are still playing out in us. The way God operates is outside time and space. That's so right. You're always and it's not large or small. It's not about one person and not about a whole bunch of people or vice yeah. versa. It's, uh, you know. So it's this universal holographic, micro macro cosmic phenomena that well teaches put. us about some things that we go through in our little lives and divine miracles when there's anything supernatural that's happening that's right in the bible they always have to be corresponding to something that applies to humanity in general it's never like we're going to call divine power down to deal with a certain situation yeah and it's not like pyrotechnics for its own sake or to sort of amaze and baffle you or, or yeah. something you know it, it, it's it applies to the human race so this is secrets of heaven 8408 all divine miracles have to do with things connected with the lord's kingdom and the church mm, yes and right. the church remember is essentially the relationship between humanity mm. and god and again this plays out that there's a church inside of me where how how am i doing in my relationship to God and my sort of wavering and now I feel more like I'm connected or believe and now I'm a little bit less on and, and am I following the directives that God is sending out and the impulses to love and charity. Th there's my little story, there's your little story, but there's also how the whole human race is doing that collectively. That's all matters of the church. Right, and, and at the risk of making you no longer need to watch this show anymore, and who knows Need how is much a strong word. Re relief that might be, but uh, all the stories in the Bible have to do with God's efforts to save the human race and us as individuals. Yes. So that's kind of a shorthand. You can always plug that in. It's got to have something to do with 
God well, working to save the human race. And hold on to that because you're going to see in the literal sense of this story very much like it seems like God is not trying to save anyone. Oh, it's actually opposite. Someone's having to talk him back from just nuking everybody, right? Right, right. Yeah, so it's, right, the fire and brimstone coming down and the whole valley is toast, all the cities and everything. It looks like absolutely epitome of divine judgment, yeah. condemnation, you know, uh, and yet Swedenborg's saying, no, it's actually about God saving us. It's actually that this whole story, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is about Jesus's efforts to save humanity from the consequences of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness? Both historically and right now, yes. But I thought that was a good thing. And we're going to get, we will give you the most thorough explanation in history <laughs> yeah, of what right. <laughs> Swedenborg defines as self-love self or self-centeredness. Yes, yeah, uh, right. So, first of all, it's important to establish that this is something for everyone. The Sodom and Gomorrah correspond to something that applies to all of us. And actually, why is this story so intense? Because it, Sodom and Gomorrah corresponds to the darkest potential in the human heart. If you don't believe me, check out Secrets of Heaven 2220. In an inner sense, Sodom means nothing but the evil that comes of self-love. And like you could say, mm. there's a whole movement out there that's saying, take care of yourself, you know, love that's yourself, right. that that's, yeah, that's the most right. important step. Hang on to that because you're going to see what, what Swedenborg actually means by that and how it differs from what you may mean by it you're yourself. You're going to see a real definition of that. Yeah. So, and look, why is there two things? Why does Sodom and Gomorrah, if it's just all symbolic, why isn't it just one thing? Sodom symbolizes everything bad in general that comes from self-love, while Gomorrah symbolizes everything false that does. Ah, so Sodom's like the heart and Gomorrah is like the mind, you know, and the bad, bad yes. thinking as opposed to, you know, evil actions. So if we're saying this self-love, which is something that is really self-centeredness, is so toxic that it's this great evil in the human heart, the falsity that comes out of that are the justifications that we need to give oh. ourselves to lead a life of extreme selfishness. Right, you gotta be telling yourself a story or something, yeah, yeah that, right. Today on extreme selfishness. First, <laughs> first we're gonna look at the chapter before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, okay. we begin, there's Abraham and there's these three angels. Jonathan, what, what goes on here in this uh, okay. chapter? Well, these three angels come to visit, and Abram had been talking to them, and they were speaking on behalf of Jehovah. In fact, it's even kind of confusing in the text whether it's really God himself or the, these angels or okay. who's talking. And in this scene, they're all looking out over the plain. You see, Sodom was down, Gomorrah, these okay. were cities, and also Adma and Zeboim, I think, were in this plain. And they're, they're all looking toward Sodom. And Abraham realizes in the course of the conversation that Sodom is doomed. It's in big trouble. Yeah. And he starts this bargaining process with Jehovah, which is kind of weird. Oh, but for a lot of reasons. But let's read it first. And yeah, then yeah. Let's then look at Genesis 18. React. And the men rose up from there and looked out. So these were the men and the angels kind of thing. Okay. And looked out toward the face of Sodom. And Abraham was going with them to send them off. And Jehovah said, shall I be hiding from Abraham what I'm doing? And Abraham will unquestionably become a large and numerous nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. And Jehovah said that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah had become great, and that their sin had become very heavy. Let me go down, please, and I will see whether they've made an end of it according to its outcry which has come to me. And if not, I will know it. So it's written this weird way as if yeah. God doesn't really know what's going down, okay. but he has to check it out. We've already got, if there's got to be something more than is on the surface, because That's right. clearly the, the traditions that are believing in this God believe that God is omniscient. That's right. So what's going so on So how, how does he not know? That's, 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 Where let is me he see located? if there's anything to yeah. this or not. As if he's, you know, a manager yeah. in the back room or something. Yeah. And the men looked out from there and went toward Sodom. Okay. And Abraham was still standing before Jehovah. And I like that kind of detail. Yeah. Like he's, he's still standing with God and they're kind of looking over there okay. to see what's going on in Sodom. And Abraham came near and said, will you also destroy the just with the ungodly? This is key. The just meaning righteous people, good people. Perhaps there are 50 just people in the middle of the city. Like it was kind of a given that the city was bad. But what if you have some good people there? Will you still destroy it? 
and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty just people who are in the middle of it. Far be it from you, says Abraham to God, he's kind of a little nervy, I think, but far be it from you to do according to this thing, to put the just to death with the ungodly, and that it should be the same for the justice for the ungodly. Well, that seems unfair, who, who right? Who does Abraham think he is, first of all? They say, hey, God, listen, <laughs> don't forget what position you're in. But second of all, what's wrong with God that he's got to have somebody remind him of this basic, almost like pseudo-morality, because it's still all vengeance. Something is amiss here. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. What is going on? Far be it from you. Won't the judge of the whole earth perform judgment? And Jehovah said... Seemingly in response yeah. to Abraham's okay. Okay. plea. You make a good point. If I find in Sodom 50 just people in the middle of the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So if you have just 50 good people, okay, no destruction. And then if, if some of you may be familiar with this Bible story, Abraham continues and he's sort of polite about it. I, I don't want you to get angry. Yeah. Can I bring up another point? What about 45? Yeah. What about that? Mm -hmm. And then he says, mm -hmm. well, how, how about if there are 40? And each time Jehovah yeah. says, no, I won't destroy it. And then he goes to 30. And then he goes to 20. And yeah. at the end of the chapter, we read this. And Abraham said, please let, here he is doing his polite thing. Let anger not blaze in my Lord. And let me speak just this once. He's actually spoken plenty, but just, just like, <laughs> I could, can I make one? It was like Columbo. Yeah. You know? yeah. May, just I made one, one more, more point. Yeah. Just one more thing. Maybe 10. Okay, he's, got, he's bargained all the way down to 10. Maybe yeah. 10 will be found there. And, and he said, meaning God, for the sake of 10, I will not ruin it. And Jehovah went when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So there's this bargaining down from 50 all the way to 10 by 10s or 5s. Yeah. Uh, what a weird, well, what a weird thing. If you, you know, sometimes you hear about a company or a startup or something, and there's like a CEO that's out of it, but people know it's really the so-and-so that's really the brains uh, behind yes, this, and right. they're kind of keeping the CEO's ego in check and, and doing it, right? <laughs> right? Who's who there? I mean, God is just this hair trigger, barely able to make basic calculations, and Abraham <laughs> has to just, and, and, talk, and talk, talk him down, and talk him down slowly to right. say, well, don't, don't get mad, but who's obviously smarter, and who's more loving between the two there? Right, right. It seems like Jehovah is like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and then Abraham's sort of pulling him back right. from the edge. Which one of those should actually be God? You right. Know? So, and, but also this, this whole, so back and forth of, of like, that uh, we need to get your input in there. It's just this, uh, almost like the kind of back and forth you would have with yourself if you were weighing a difficult decision. True. And yeah, and I've, I've been known from time to time to speak to myself, yeah. you know what I mean? You're, Swedenborg right. says, that's actually closer to what this story is really about. Mm. That all the stories in the Word are about Jesus, which who is God, God trying to free the human race, right? And Jesus in particular being God's connection to humanity through, through the divine human. Right. Yes, that's so right. this is actually the the whole Jesus trick as it was done, which was we've done a lot of shows on why that was important and why it's there. That's true. It's a central part of Swedenborg's theology. The tr what was happening there was God was having to do this very difficult maneuver to rearrange the human race, and he walked the exact path that we can walk. So actually, did grow as a person right. and have periods of being more aware of and connected to his divine identity and less aware and connected. And this is actually the story of when Jesus, played by Abraham, this part of the, the divine human consciousness started to understand just this, what the state of the human race was. Where we were just with the human race. How yeah, big the right. task ahead was. So this is Which I think it, it might have been, it, he might have been a teenager at that point, you know, judging yes. by what Swedenborg says about other stories yeah. at that time. Are you still with us? Okay, let's go. <laughs> just Good. like, okay. Piece of cake, right? There's just, hey, we're going down a very, very particular rabbit hole here. That's right. And everything in bold is text out of the Bible, as That's Swedenborg right. explains. And looked out toward the face of Sodom symbolizes the condition of the human race. Not of one city, but Not of, of, one city. of everyone. Everyone. Okay. To send them off means that Jesus wanted to get away from these perceptions, which were the perceptions. There was a little bit of a sense of like, yeah. you know, I'll let the angels go, I'll stay here yeah. or something. So, and he doesn't want to have this insight. He doesn't want to get... He's uncomfortable with what he's seeing. doesn't want to understand just how much how many issues we have and the right. risk to our eternal happiness from that. Mm. His perception received from his divine side 
And so his thought that the human race was like this struck him with horror. Mm. Because I think of a young Jesus, you know, you've sort of been in that innocence and then you start to figure out, oh, wait, this is worse than I thought, you know. And you think of God as, okay, omniscient, I'm this cold calculating, but God is unlimited mind and unlimited heart. And an unlimited heart. heart, particularly for everybody's salvation and happiness. Mm. So to know how, if you just, for a second right now, could sense the totality of all the suffering we're inflicting on each other in a moment, we, you would absolutely Ooh. be destroyed, right? Yeah. And so for God who, who loves every single person equally and everyone who's suffering mm. in every bit, you just think about how that would hit you. You know, mm. and, and not just the suffering, but the evil in the hearts of the people perpetrating that on others. That's and you right. wanted to save them. This is like a really, this is worse than the worst horror movie you can imagine, hitting Jesus, right? Yeah. The Lord's love for the whole human race was so immense that he wanted to save everyone forever by uniting, and this is why Jesus happened, by uniting his human nature with his divine and his divine nature with his human. Which is kind of Abraham and Jehovah and Jehovah and Abraham. They were yes. in the conversation. So when he perceived the character of the human race, he wanted to get away from the perception and the resulting thoughts. That is what his desire to send them off symbolizes. Mm. So wow. we then, uh, there's so much material we're trying to cover here. That we, yeah. Let's summarize a little bit of here. We got four short quotes about what this means. When you get into Swedenborg, and the book of Genesis, it's yeah. not that he has too little to say. You, and you might think out there, I'm just asking a harmless question, what's up with Sodom and Gomorrah? Look what you've done! <laughs> we can't answer that in one show. Everything said in the Word has to do with the Lord's coming on earth to unite his human nature with his divine nature, and by uniting them to save the human race. And luckily, as you say, we've done some shows about why that was necessary yeah. to save. Yeah. He had to be in the same state we are in, as it says in Hebrews why, and so on. Why Jesus was born, I think, is the title of that that the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah had become great and that their sin had become very heavy means that the falsity and evil inherent in self-love had grown to its culmination. To me, the word ripe comes to mind, like, you know, a fruit, like it ripens all the way to that last stage or something. And somehow self-love had gotten all the way, like, that's okay, that's full on. <laughs> You know, that's you, fully developed self-love right You there. don't think of evil as having an orderly progression, but because providence is working it, everything evil in every situation is actually progressing toward a point when it will be dealt with. But before then, it can't be. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not ripe yet. Let me go down, please, and I will see symbolizes a visitation. The word refers to the final days of the church in general and of each individual in particular as a visitation. And visitation comes before a judgment. Oh, this is visitation before judgment. So the, here come three angels, and then the place is about to be, you know, dealt with. So a visitation is nothing but an examination of the character, the character of the religious culture in general and of the individual in particular. Yes, indeed. Will you also destroy the just with the ungodly? Symbolizes grief in the Lord because of his love for the human race. So this conflict is, is grief. Yes. And not actually, oh, should I, shouldn't I? Right. And is intervening to plead that there was still a link with good, even though evil was present. Part of who the Lord is, is that he looks for the good and he looks yeah. really hard for it. Right. You know, right. And, and in all of us, thankfully, He's, he doesn't put a negative, his, his first choice is not put a negative interpretation on it. He's looking for what's the best possible thing in us. And in the Jesus phenomenon, you get like, what is it like if God were to just suddenly realize everything that's going on? You know, yeah. and what would hit him, how? Ooh. And there's the, what's, what's clashing here is there's the wish, which is wanting everyone saved. Right, everybody to be happy forever. And then the right. reality, which is that when we take the, I just mentioned this kind of evil that's all over the globe, it's not happening without people wholeheartedly diving into perpetrating that. When we make evil, and especially the self-love that we're going to learn the definition of, that's not right. the thing, especially when we make that <laughs> the core of who we are, when you love that, you don't want you hate heaven. You, you don't actually hate it. The, the heaven is not just a place where your where houses are nice and you, everything is nice. Heaven is the mutual love that people share and selfless right. uh, community yeah. where, you, where you're not trying to build a hierarchy. Uh, people who have made uh, domination and hatred their life can't breathe in that. So yeah. they, it's not like Jesus could just okay, I'm going to take you into heaven anyway. You can't. You can't. Yeah, that's right. There's got to be a separation of some kind. Right. And so this bargaining. Uh, represents Jesus turning to that divine perception, you know, his human mind, yeah. kind of trying to understand from that divine perception what that reality is and determining 
as many ways to save people as he possibly could. And yeah. so in a way that bargaining is like lowering the bar of entry to get into heaven. Like talking down, talking down, you know. Yeah. And, and so all those numbers of people that Abraham talked about were different states of goodness. Here's Secrets of Heaven 2251. He explains, will you still destroy it and not spare the place for the sake of 50 just people who are in the middle of it means intervening out of love so that they would not then be destroyed. And so this intervention goes on with these numbers. 50 means people who have some true ideas which have been filled with goodness, which is kind of the end game. The, yes. I mean, that's a good state. It's you're easy, easy to make the jump from there to a heavenly right. state say, of mind. Okay, yes, that's solvable. But when they go to 45, it's like, well, you're still open to having goodness and truth joined. They yeah. haven't been joined yet, yeah. but you're not opposed to it. Yes, and so those people, okay. we can make a path into heaven for you. We yep. can save those as well. Okay, how about just some people who've gone through temptations, crises of the yeah. spirit, you know, battles of some spiritual and, and Can I just yeah. say something? We can save you, yeah. 40 is always the number that symbolizes temptations. Isn't that right? I know. <laughs> and, and throughout 40 years in the wilderness, Swedenborg makes a big point of this, so it's just cool to me. I just, it's just hitting me now, but yeah. to see it follow in its sequence Fasting like that. Fasting for 40 days. All these numbers are meaningful, that's right. And consistently and that's why, meaningful. how it goes from 45 okay. to 40 and everything. We're geeking then, out, we gotta stop. 30 is just that, okay, maybe you haven't even gone through temptations yet. What if you haven't gone through temptations, but you've dealt with some kind of conflict? You've been in that battle of good and evil in some way right. in your life. And the Lord is saying, yes, I'll save you. Even if you haven't been through temptations, I can still work with that. And then he goes even to the next level. People who haven't thought deeply or dealt with conflict, but they do have some basic goodness. Yeah. You know, you've just treated other people decently. There's not a whole At lot times, of depth there, but yeah. for 20, yes, I'll save it. And 10 is you don't even have that, but you have this thing called the remnant in you. There's, there's something in your psyche that God can work with. That can yeah. still be accessed. And so it's so incredibly merciful. It's remnant like, being this is like the stuff, even if now you're hardened and, and, and set yeah. in evil or negative ways in childhood. You know, in childhood, that's where you get those you remnants. Can access, God can actually work with those memories to bring you out of whatever trap you're in. So that's even amazing. down so to if that, you haven't destroyed yourself yeah. thoroughly. You know, there's still something solvable. Okay, so then we've got mm. Lot and the family being led out of Sodom. Yes, that's right. So Lot was Abraham's nephew, and when they decided to go this way and that way, Lot chose to go to Sodom. Yeah. And so this is all about Lot and, fam and his family being led out before the fire and brimstone moment. This is not, it seems like a cop-out, it's not a cop-out. We just don't have time to go into all the details of this mm. in depth, but we are going to give you what I think is a pretty good summary of both the biblical story and Swedenborg's internal sense for that story. Is this like a poetry slam? Or this is exactly like a poetry slam. Okay. I haven't I been so. to one of those, but yeah, I don't know okay, here is. we go. So I will narrate the action from the Bible. Dr. Jonathan Rose, PhD, will narrate the inner meaning. Very good. Here we go. Sounds good. Uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, lives in Sodom with his family. In the inner meaning of this chapter, Lot depicts conditions in a spiritual religion whose deeds are loving, but whose worship is shallow. He lives in the valley. Then Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. People tangled up with the evils of externalism but who have some inner goodness. Two angels come to Sodom in the evening. When corruption is about to self-destruct, the Lord's presence approaches to salvage any goodness for the sake of a new beginning. Lot greets the angels and invites them into his home. People with some level of conscience and charity want to welcome the Lord's presence. The angels being a symbol of the Lord. The angels at first decline, but Lot urges them and they agree states of temptation in which it's not clear to a person whether the Lord is present or not. Lot serves a meal and they eat together. Because of the person's willingness, a bond forms with the Lord. The men of Sodom surround the house. Self-centeredness hates charity in the presence of the Lord and wants to viciously attack and violate them. I'm assuming the kids are out of the room. It's a show about Sodom and Gomorrah. But this next yeah. one, they threaten the angels with gang rape. Self-centeredness is furious that its justifications would be confronted. It wants to deny, demean, and destroy any truth that would shine a light on things. And this is pro probably the most infamous part of the story. Lot tries to dissuade them. 
People with charity try to defend goodness from attack. The men of Sodom try to break down the door. Self-centeredness still wants to destroy goodness. Look at this picture we're painting of this self-centeredness. The angels pull Lot inside to safety. The Lord can protect people who have some genuine charity. The men of Sodom are then struck with blindness. Self-centeredness is so immersed in a false view of life that it cannot see. And you start to get a sense there of, of it, that self-centeredness blinds itself. Yes. The angels tell Lot to gather his family and leave the city. The Lord calls people who have charity to separate themselves from self-centeredness in order to be saved. Not all the family is willing. There are parts of good people's minds that don't want to give up self-centeredness. As the morning comes. When the time has come for a new beginning. The angels press a lot more urgently. It becomes crucial to separate the goodness from self-centeredness or else the goodness will be dragged down and destroyed. Lot lingered, so the angels grabbed him and his wife and daughters by the hands and dragged them out of the city. The outer or lower self is reluctant to let go of self-centeredness, so there comes a point when the Lord has to take stronger action to rescue the deeper goodness. Lot and his family are told to flee to the mountains, and Sodom and Gomorrah are consumed by brimstone and fire. Safety can only be found in higher heavenly love, because self-centeredness brings destruction upon itself. According to appearances, according to appearances. Always when we, Swedenborg asserts, when we're hearing things, the wrath of Jehovah, that's how it feels when you're immersed in this self-centeredness, which we're going to learn about in the next section. It feels like, oh, why isn't life working out well? Why isn't God giving me what I want? Am I, am I being punished for this? But this is, these are the natural effects of eating poison, spiritual poison. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. So that that's, was fun. That's right? the basics of that. We haven't even got to the main course here. Oh, now let's good appetizer. Let's now that we've got that basic topography set in your mind. Now let's go in and give you three deeper dives to meditate on in that space. So mm. now it's time for our three seeds. Actually begin with uh, there's this time when Lot is looking over the oh, land. that's right. Deciding where to live. He and Abraham are looking out and they have so many flocks they have to go to different areas. Yeah. And so Swedenborg explains that there can actually be a good symbolism of Sodom if it's in its proper order. Like everybody that's sort of associated with the idea yeah. of evil. but. But if you go back to Genesis 13, we've been up in 18 and 19. Yeah. You go back to 13, Abraham and Lot, as I say, had to choose different places to live. So they had room for their livestock. And there's this one verse in there, Genesis 13, 10. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan, so this is the valley, the plain right. of the Jordan River, right. was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. People, when the children of Israel left, they said, oh, I wish we could go back. Right. They had such great food there and everything. In the direction of Zoar, this was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So it used to be like Eden. It was like the land of Eden. It was, uh, it was yeah. a beautiful place. And using you know? that verse, Swedenborg explains the meaning of Sodom and Gomorrah. This mm. is Secrets of Heaven, 1587. Again, bold is the Bible. Before Jehovah had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, symbolizes the outer self as destroyed by evil cravings and false or distorted convictions. This can be seen from the symbolism of Sodom as evil cravings and from the symbolism of Gomorrah as distorted convictions, nice. evil and falsity. And not that these things are just that they're frowned on by God. This is destroys your spirit. This is what is the opposite of God. These two are what destroy our outer self and divide it from our inner self. Cravings for evil belong to the will and distortions adopted as convictions belong to the intellect. And when the two of them take over, our whole outer self is destroyed. Once destroyed, it also detaches from our inner self. Not that our soul or spirit separates from the body, hmm. but that the goodness and truth coming from our soul or spirit does. Then goodness and truth no longer influence us except in a distant way. Ooh. You can just be so consumed by passions for evil and distorted thinking that you're basically uh, autopilot, like some kind of dark right. animal. It's just whatever I want and I'm doing it. Yeah. The Lord came into the world because the outer self and the human race had been ruined in this way. And its link with the inner self, that is with goodness and truth, had been broken. He came into the world then to join and unite his outer self with his inner, or in other words, to join and unite his human quality with his divine. There it is again. The present verse, Genesis 13:10, describes the character of the outer self when united 
to the inner. Ah, you see, so the outer self, Sodom is the outer self. Yeah. When it's united the inner, it's, awesome. it's the Garden of Eden. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's just when self-love takes over and there's no love of God there anymore, you know, well, then you've got a problem. I think, you know, that, that ties really well into because what, what, um, what Jonathan's about to talk about is this uh, long overhyped description of the negative side of self-love. Self-love. And that, I, but that's a cool way to contextualize it because the, the self-care and self-affirmation that everyone's talking about, there's an assumption in there that it's going towards you being a good person and, yeah. and, and loving others. This is a step in that direction. That's right. This is what we're about to talk about now is that like separated when it becomes the only point of life is loving when the self. When that takes over yeah. and you have no regard for anyone else. Okay, and so here we get to this the, the most famous part probably. Fasten your spiritual seatbelt right. because we're, we're going to have the most in-depth look here and it's a, just one passage from Secrets of Heaven but it's yeah. a long one. It's worth what it. self-love and self-centeredness really means yeah. and what the effects of it are. So here goes. They looked out toward the face of Sodom. See, we're explaining this very story. Yep. Symbolizes the condition of the human race. A face symbolizes everything inside us, both bad and good, because those things shine out from our face. It says the face of Sodom, weird expression. Yep. The worst evils of all trace their origin to self-love, because self-love is what destroys human society and heavenly society. Self-love is directly opposed to the divine pattern in which we were created. We've been given more rationality than animals so that we can wish each other well and do each other good, individually as well as collectively. This is the code of life we were created right. for. Love for God and for our neighbor constitute that code. Love is also the code of heaven, which we would inhabit while living in the world. We, we can, you know, be in heaven while we're living here. Right. Inhabiting heaven means inhabiting the Lord's kingdom, the same kingdom we would pass into upon shedding the body that has served us on earth. There we would rise again into an ever more perfect heavenly state. So this is, this is how good things could be, and now we get into the, why this, we're this not is there. This the good, good Sodom, yeah. yeah. Self-love is the chief agent, in fact, the only agent that destroys these goals. Materialism, or what's sometimes called love of the world, is not as much to blame. It is true that materialism is directly opposed to the spiritual qualities of faith, but self-love is directly opposed to the heavenly qualities of love, and now, which is the highest thing. Now, let's get what, can you describe a little what you mean by self-love, Emanuel Swedenborg? What are the characteristics of it? Okay, here we go. Those of us who love ourselves do not love anyone else. We don't okay. love anybody else. Okay. But work to destroy everyone who fails to worship us. So you get a bit of a break if you if you worship the person. That, that, and so there, okay. So we're, obviously, what he means is those of us who who love ourselves above everything. And you do see this in some of the worst dictators that that force that's everybody right. to. That that's the essence of this thing. It might you say extreme narcissism or something? Extreme there's, narcissism. There, there's yep. a kind of a and that yeah. Narcissism yeah, right. is probably a great stand-in for self-love. That that's actually that's not bad. Is it? Not yeah, so, hey, that's right. You did it, all right because it doesn't sound like oh, just take a bath with some yeah. candles or something. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's it's don't let that go to your head. Yeah, we wish well and do well to no one but a subordinate. Like if somebody's serving us, okay, oh, we'll we be love nice. Them. Yeah. Or someone who can be enticed into subordination, like some twig grafted onto our appetites and delusions. So yeah. they're almost like a limb, you know. Yeah. That person is just a limb just, to do my or just, will. They're just a pawn in, in, what, in your game to, to have power. These considerations make it clear that love for ourselves is the wellspring of all kinds, and this is why it's considered bad. Narcissism, right. Hatred vengefulness and cruelty and all kinds of horrendous deceit and fraud. Because if you, if, if you have this narcissistic personality where you're, you're venerating yourself and you are the greatest thing ever, then as soon as somebody doesn't respect you or attacks you, in some way, this hatred, vengefulness well, bursts out. Right? They're a threat. It's a yeah, threat. Yeah, that's right. They're a threat to... Exactly to, right. Yeah. So it is the wellspring of every unspeakable assault on the proper order of human society and the proper order of heavenly society. I like the way it keeps uniting those two. Right. In fact, self-love is so degenerate that when the restraints on it loosen, it runs so wild 
that it makes us want to control not only our neighbors and fellow citizens. It's not about loving others, it's like controlling them. Yep. But the, you know, I, don't people make fun of that, but like to be like master of the universe well, or something, right? Isn't that you know? uh, Yertle Eternal, right? It's just yeah. like, it just gets, it's ridiculous. You, you really want to rule the mule and the, the, you're just a turtle. That's right. But the universe and even the supreme deity himself, you'd like to have God working for you. Yes. We do not know about this tendency. People don't realize quite how insane this thing is because we're bound by restraints we're mostly unaware of. But so far as the chains loosen, we go berserk. Berserk. Now, this mm. is an important distinction that he's making here. You may not see yourself at all in the description we just That's gave. Right. What he's asserting, though, is the little snaps of ego that we do have. And I'm not talking about def when you're really defending yourself as something, not or, healthy or, or, assertiveness. Or pride for something good that you did or something like that. But yeah. we all know when we get this little twinge of, of that Don't narcissistic you know ego-based, whatever it is. Right. He's saying that, that that thing, and maybe it's just like a little seed, but that will grow. If, if we kept getting what we wanted, mm -hmm. that would grow into this. That's that into why this it's so... evil plant. That's why it's so deadly and why mm -hmm. Jesus needed to take it on so directly. Right. And why you need some revelation to tell you, hey, that little thing that happened in your yeah. spirit just now, actually that's one to watch out for because that could take you down. Okay. A great deal of experience in the other world has taught me this. As we were, he mostly had to learn this from the other world. He right. saw plenty of examples in this world, but right. you really see it play out in the other world. Because these traits lie hidden in self-love, people who love themselves and, important point, lack the bonds of conscience. Yep. There's nothing's holding you back. Also hate the Lord more than anyone else does. They hate all religious truth too, since religious truths are the actual laws of order in the Lord's kingdom. The real self-lovers, interesting phrase there, yeah. are those who hold others in contempt and consider them worthless by comparison with themselves. That's a great little definition right there. Yeah. I think, you, you know, like if you're just like, okay, I like these people, I like those people. But if you really think, oh no, those people are worthless. Yeah. I'm a real human being. They are actually not. And of course, the, you would have to hate r truth. Because the fundamental, <laughs> uh, the, the, the cornerstone of this self-love mindset that he's talking about is that you are superior to everybody else. And that's not true. That you, you, <laughs> right. You're not, that no matter who you are, you're not the only person you who's conscious. You singled out as a, yeah. by God as right. a right. Yeah, special and no one else should have any So of course or something. you have to build some kind of falsity construct to continue to pursue your passion. So people with this insane point of view have no concern at all for the common good unless it benefits themselves or unless they themselves are the common good, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Above all, they hate any who will not coddle and serve them. They persecute such people, and so far as they can, if they have it in their power, rob them of their belongings, position, reputation, and even life. This, this is why, yeah. do you start to see why self-love is considered to be bad? Sure. It's like an enemy of heaven. And check out this public service announcement. Yes, if you, so, friends, we invite you to examine yourself. If you plot things like this in your heart, be aware that you have more self-love than most. Ouch. Yeah, right. Burn. Well, and the cool thing is, any amount of self-love is the place, the opportunity for us to connect with God. Because in seeing that self-love, you whatever to whatever level you have it, you like it. Because it feels good to win and be better and crush and despise. Yeah. Right. But to be able to say, okay, I... I'm going to give up this. That's, this is how you really start to partner with divine That's love. That's it. And to say, I'm going to, you know, the, who lays down their life for their friends. Jesus said that. This is exactly this life of the, the pleasure of trying to be better, uh, trying to dominate, to be able to say, mm. I'm, I'm actually not going to go for that because I want to actually live real love instead at a cost of joy to us at a certain point, that's laying down your life. I mean, this is an exciting starting point. Honestly, I think that's, that's kind of Swedenborg's life story in a way. He was a famous scientist. He was well-known. He was a nobleman and everything. Yeah. And then he, yeah. he kind of sacrificed that whole life to write this stuff that we're reading here, you know, because like, hey, there's a higher purpose here. I need yeah. to call this out. 
you know, even if I get mocked and ridiculed yeah. for doing it. And I think, I think Swedenborg often is writing about the extremes of, of particularly self-love and intellectual pride as a former subscriber. Someone who knows from the inside. That's he right. was, <laughs> when he was young, I think he had a reputation for he, being he a jerk. He was a hot shot, yeah. Right. yeah he, was, he, uh, he was so he was smart, work. and he thought, I'm so great. And because you see in his, his journal of spiritual experiences that he'll, or journal of dreams, he says, oh, I, I was dreaming that there was people reviewing a paper about something and I wished that mine was the best. And, and he had to struggle with that black dog, which was That's a symbol right. of his pride. So this is not something that he's saying some strange, freaks out there have it. He had it. We, uh, most people have it to some extent. When he was younger, he actually made a proposal. He made an offer to the University of Uppsala, yeah. with which he had no relationship. But he said, dear university, it was one of the best universities in Scandinavia at the time, and he, and he and still is. And, and he said, um, I'm willing to offer you myself in a new chair of, of uh, mathematics, I think it was, and uh, everyone else can diminish their salary in order to pay me. And the way he had described it was everybody would kind of go to three quarters pay and then he would get one and a half salaries. Yeah. L- little, <laughs> you know, could be a little shade of like, yeah. I'm more yeah. valuable than yeah. other people right. there. Right. You know, and for some reason they didn't bite. If there's hope for Swedenborg, there's hope for us then. That's right. So then their third seed here is let's take a look at what the ideal is and then the fall from the ideal. So okay. this is a okay. couple numbers in good. Secrets of Heaven here, starting at 2227. Heavenly good is that of love for the Lord. Spiritual good is that of love for our neighbor. The latter comes from the former, because no one can love the Lord without also loving other people. That's key to the essence of what God is. That's right. That God is the will to help others. You can't say, oh, I love you, man, I really love you, and you don't care about what I care about. What love is that? Love for the Lord contains love for our neighbor because it comes from the Lord and therefore from love itself for the entire human race. Mm. Dwelling in love for the Lord is the same as dwelling in the Lord. Wow. And people who dwell in the Lord cannot help dwelling in his love, which is a love for the human race. Again, ah, there's you can't your alternative. mess with the God thing and not love the human race. That They're, they're one and the same. That's you can't it. say, I love God because... I'm going to be exclusively powerful, or you stand for some kind of dividing <laughs> way. Loving God is loving the human race. That's right. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Means Abraham. In Abraham. So this is right from that section in the Bible, that he will save everyone who lives in charity. Saving faith is not simply a way of thinking, or an acknowledgement of a tenant, or a comprehensive knowledge of the theology. Despite rumors that you might have heard to the contrary. No one can be saved by any of this because it cannot take root in anything deeper than a thought. Thought saves no one. Whoa, that's potent. You've got to put the work in. It doesn't matter what you know. You can be very smart and very cruel. He got to see a lot of smart people yeah. in the other world who weren't doing that, that well on the salvation scale. You know. It is the life we have acquired for ourselves in the world by means of religious knowledge that saves us. Mm. This life remains, but any thinking that does not harmonize with our life dies away until it disappears. So if you, se- if you talk a lot about God and talk a lot about love, but you don't live by that, eventually you're going to lose your taste for God and love because you've got to have the real thing. It's not really supportive. Yeah, right, right. There are two kinds of life in general. One is hell's and the other is heaven's. We acquire a hellish life from all those aims, thoughts, and deeds that emanate from self-love and so from hatred for others. We acquire heavenly life from all those aims, thoughts, and deeds that belong to neighborly love. This evidence shows what faith is. It is charity. Stunning definition. Everything called a doctrine of faith leads toward charity. That's how you know what faith is. Hey, if it's talking about being nice to people, that's faith. Is If your, your religious truths are making you feel more genuine concern for the welfare, the long-term welfare of your fellow human beings, then you're most likely absorbing true truths and using them how they're meant to be used. That's right. Charity contains all those doctrines. Mm. When bodily life ends, our soul reflects our love. Speaking generally, there's only one doctrine, which is the doctrine of charity. There's only one doctrine. That's great. All this is coming in in the context of explaining this Sodom and Gomorrah story. Charity does not differ from faith any more than wanting what is good differs from thinking what is good. (laughs) I like that. Anyone who wishes well also thinks well. But the human race began to wish ill. There you go. People started to hate their neighbor and to inflict revenge and cruelty on others. In the end, the part of the mind called will became wholly depraved. That's what we're talking about. 
And this is that was the slide. what Jesus is up against, is how do you take a human race that's been completely infected by this narcissism and this right. revenge? And like I said, look out at, at what's happened just in this 24-hour period on the earth. A lot of good stuff, but a lot of really bad stuff. And that is a symptom that we are out of the divine order we're meant to be in. That's right. So, yeah. we've said a lot. Yes, Shall we, we process it a little bit? It's time for our Correspondences Meditation. You remember in the beginning, in the icebreaker question, we talked about what's something bad that happened that led to something good? We talked about the culmination of evil to a point, and then there's some kind of process. We talked about temptations or spiritual trials getting us closer to heaven. All mm. these things go to show you can see that there are cycles that move us out of this self-love and into the love of the Lord and love of heaven. And actually, those cycles are reflected everywhere in the way the world is built. So we're going to be able to look here at a, at a living correspondence or representation. We're going to be looking at a scene in the forest. It's fall around here where we're broadcasting the show from. So you're starting to see there's all these leaves which are falling and it seems like this. It's beautiful, but also is everything dying? What's happening? But the way a forest ecosystem works, that actually then can become nutrients, return things to the soil. This is actually part of regrowth and it's just like us shedding the parts of them giving a nice long preamble to this, but it's a really cool thing that I want to set up. You remember in, in one of your quotes, you were saying uh, that you have to uh, get rid of, oh, oh, we were talking about in the summary with Lot, when it's like so good people sometimes didn't want to get rid of the evil that was in them. That's right. They had that self-centeredness and they were kind of attached to it. So yeah. some of Lot's relatives say, I, I don't want to leave. The, the, you've got these leaves. I want to hang on to these leaves all winter. Yes. No, you're not going to make it through the winter. If, if no. a tree kept its leaves through the winter, that's the end it of the tree. Damaged. Yeah, that, that's that right. You lose all the chlorophyll in that. It would be, it'd be hard to recover from that. So this, this scene we're going to see here is a picture of, hey, we're going through these cycles and we're moving through uh, up as we move through. One of the cool things about setting it to nice music is the nice music puts a context on everything. Even when you see the leaves have fallen, the snow is coming, because you hear the music, it, it lets you know this is all part of a just fine process. That the person who put the music on there wasn't worried about these parts. They, they didn't see them as disrupting the beauty of the process. That's how it is when you begin to be able to see life on the long providential scale, that, that even the hard stuff can be getting us into the position mm. we need to be in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, um, I remember there have been, there's times when there are basketball games that I get excited about, but there's sometimes when you have to watch them later because you can't watch them live. If you know that the, your team is going to win, you're down by 10 points, it doesn't matter. You're not yeah. ruffled. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, hey, so we, again, there's been a lot of material here. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Let's just uh, condense it a little bit. What would you say is the takeaway from all this? Well, for me, I guess what I'm thinking about is just that juxtaposition of the, a, a story that people have associated with divine judgment and harshness yes. and condemnation, you know, just like nuking with fire and brimstone. Yeah. 
it, this is what makes me think Swedenborg had his wig on straight because the fact that he says that, no, that's actually about love, is about reaching out, trying to save all people possible, going yeah. in there to get every kind of lot out of the, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, like rescuing all of us in every way possible. Uh, it's the opposite of what it looks like. Right. And that fire and brimstone, it looks like it's coming from God. It's really what comes down on yourself, just like we were talking about in a, a recent show, yeah. about consuming in the book of Revelation and all that fire coming down from heaven. And uh, so it's, it's not about condemnation. It's about love and every possible effort to save us. And that, that self-love that we were going on and on about in that one number, that stuff you can grab onto and it feels good, but it's, it's fire and brimstone. It's, it's, it will destroy yeah, you. you got to get out of there. Yeah. And I love the fact, because we get so confused, I get really confused. Is this self-centered or am I being good? As a yeah. I can't tell sometimes. You know, yeah. it's really tricky. Right. Swedenborg says it hides like a snake in the rock. You know, yeah. it's hard to find. And, and uh, the fact that the Lord knows what it is. He knows precisely what it is yeah. and how to deal with it. Yeah. I love that. Yep. And we may think, it's our best friend. And he's saying, uh, no, it's actually bad. You should yeah. come out of there and go to the mountains yeah. of love and all that. Like you're, going to be, you're going to have happiness and, and you're going to love yourself and you're going to, other people are going to That's love right. you. But, it's, right. but there's certain stuff that seems like it's love, but it's not love. Let's get not. that out of there. Let's get that out of there. Okay, so mm. now, you guys, in, in case you had some kind of issue with that, you get to exact revenge on us by doing the elevator <laughs> pitch. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get into that. All right. Right now, or do we have our donation video first? Okay, let's get into that right now. Now that we got that straightened out. Good. Okay, this is the part of the show. Hopefully you've already got your ideas, and I'm sure we got some by now, right? This is, uh, this is in case you ever find yourself in the situation of being in an elevator and somebody asks you about a Swedenborg thing. So this is a, consider this training for your life out in tall buildings. <laughs> or at least a bad example. Around this. So it's time for our ever popular. So we're each going to get a minute to describe, to not just explain whatever topic pops up here, but but make a pitch for why it means something mm -hmm. and why you should be thinking about right. it in your life. Oh, we didn't decide. Are you cool if I go first? Yeah, I, that's, I, I just, think we sort of we've kind of settled. That's in kind of our group. Okay, so you yeah. go first. And okay, so we both stepped mm -hmm. onto an elevator. The topic that pops up, the question I asked Dr. Jonathan Rose is. Mm. Hey, kajujil love. All right. Kajujil love. What is that? Isn't that a Swedenborg thing? Would you just give me a, a wow. minute on that? Okay, here we go. Elevator button is hit. All right. He's only got a little bit of time to convince me. Let's go. You know, people talk a lot about how you have th your th thoughts and your heart, or they say, you know, I, I understand it here, but I'm not feeling it here. They point to themselves like that, like there's supposed to be two parts of yourself that work together. Swedenborg says that there is this grand relationship between love and wisdom in God. And that's really the foundation of the whole universe. It's really the substance that underlies everything. And these things are in a relationship that's actually the origin of all love and of marriage in, in the human race. One of my favorite uh, definitions of uh, conjugal love that Swedenborg talks about, or marriage love, is that when two partners have that love in themselves and between them at the same time, then they're a reflection and image of it. So this is something really that comes from God, but that's where all that attraction and zing comes from. Can you feel the love tonight? Oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it is so interesting, like, because, yeah, so Swedenborg wrote a whole book that's titled Conjugal Love or Marriage Love, but you can't get into a discussion about what you'd call, like, romantic love uh, without talking about this sort of divine origin and where it fits in with the big Heaven picture. So and I think you, and you did that very well. Okay, yeah. I think we're out of time, so let's move to the next section. Okay, <laughs> I've got to do mine here. Let's see uh, what, what mine's going to be. Order of Loves. This Order is from... Okay, let's, okay. let's go. Okay. 
I get it. You were just watching this show, and you're feeling like, wait a second. I, you know, I'm supposed to eradicate all my affection for my own reputation and for, for my own position. This is going to be very tough. I tried, but today I just cared a little bit that somebody didn't, uh, you know, step on my <laughs> foot when I was in the line. What are you talking about? I'm not saying we have to get rid of any of it. It's just about put things in the right design. Mm. If you get them scrambled, if you have a love for yourself on top and love of usefulness and have it on the bottom, nothing works. But actually, you're your longing and desire to have self-esteem mm -hmm. is only going to be fulfilled if you get these in order, which means if the point of your life, if the thing that really gets you up in the morning is the good you can do in somebody else and the way you can help the world, if that's steering and then you're thinking about the material perks that allow you to do that and then you're thinking about love and respect that comes directly to you and all the love and respect to you is in service of your ability to do the higher thing, then you're actually going to have real self-esteem and love. Whew. That's the order of loves. Man, that, that was too that short. Was that good. was like a 20 second one. <laughs> yeah, I think, right. they, I, I think they did. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. You, you, you got robbed. That's right. Well, as, as always. Okay, now, speaking of getting robbed, we'd love to rob you of a little bit of your money. And that's a serious thing because, <laughs> because we're a nonprofit. We, In this, the nicest way possible. We, we don't charge for this. We don't even show ads on it. And this has all been made possible and sustained by people like you being willing to donate money mm. to let us do this very unique programming that some would say there's no market for, <laughs> but because <laughs> of you, we're able to do it. So here's a little bit on how you can contribute. Please consider joining our community of sustaining supporters by going to otle.causevox.com and setting up a recurring monthly donation at a value of your choice. Any amount helps. Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye and allow us to continue to create high-quality programming that nourishes thousands every week around the globe. Your help makes a difference. Okay, it's the time. We said we wanted to hear your responses to that question way back in the beginning, and now we want to get to it. Do you remember that question? It was this. Oh. Can you think of a painful ending of something that cleared the way for a positive new beginning, or a bad habit that finally gave way to something better? Mm. Yeah, what did you have to say about this? Let's take a look. This is the responses that we gathered and put together. My divorce. I was so shattered in the beginning. I had just read Love What Is, and so I looked for the good mm. in it. And then after my failed marriage, I saw I was at a pretty low point in my life. But that was when I started reading Swedenborg and self-introspection and bettering myself spiritually. Mm. Being gay, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah has been used to affirm me as an abomination. Mm. How much God literally hated me. I left God for many years, though he never really left me. A decade later, I found a reconciling church that loves me for the way I was created. Mm. Powerful. At the end of relationships, of course that's painful, though eventually along my path I move upward and closer to my goals. Through changing circumstances comes a change in state. Nice. After years of being bullied at school and almost having a breakdown, I was finally sent to another school where I made new friends and developed a little self-esteem and confidence. Mm, Whenever I've come to a definite end or major change of something in my life, I've come to think of it as but one chapter of my life ending not the whole story. Right, right, right. Perspective. An acerbic break with a past church sent me off to find the new church. Nice. I had a job which I really worked hard at and I was well paid, but I always thought I'm not good enough. After I left that place, then I started to come to my own and trusted my abilities. Mm. I lost almost everything to addiction, but what seemed at first a flimsy read turned out to be the hand of God. Oh, I love that quote. My job was in a rut, including a bad performance review, but my mind was open to change, and out of the blue, my present job opened, uh, opened up, which I love. Yes. Awesome. These That's things awesome. that come out of the blue. That's right. Okay. And mm. Thank you for sharing yeah, those things. Speaking of coming out of the blue, uh, we just really appreciate all of you get, getting to co coming out of the blue and letting this whole Swedenborg video ecosystem work on here. Thank you so much mm. for that. Um, we are going to say thanks by putting out more videos. Right, so we have coming up, we have our News from Heaven show, which we do two of every week. And on Thursday, we're going to be looking at how divinity is the same in the largest and the smallest things. Yes. And then Saturday, the difference between angels and spirits. And just mm. like with the Bible story, anything you dig into here is about all of life. So, yes. so even if you That's didn't right. 
I didn't think I wanted to know that. By the end, we're talking about all of us. That's right. Uh, our short clips poll every week we ask you, what do you mm. want to see in our short clips? And you guys voted for the purpose of a life review after death yeah. and how spirits prepare for heaven. Now, wait a second. Nice. Is that right? Is that the right slide? Did we already do that? Didn't we already do those clips? Oh, I don't okay. know. Because I think we're... Well, we, what it says... Yeah, we, I think we actually... this Because this, I feel like well, one of those I saw, we already put out. So okay. Like, that's okay. All right. What I well, think... Maybe, what, what this is what I think um, we're going to do, which is okay. a Wednesday, you still have a body after death. Yeah, that sounds right. And Friday, an initiation center for young adults and the afterlife. Which might be the same thing or might which, be different. I can't tell. Which <laughs> is r right and which is wrong. You won't, you'll be able to tell. You'll be able to go watch this video, then watch the ones after, and you'll see... What was the right That's right. So next Monday, I do know this for sure, next Monday we're going to have good question, which is where we take the Q&A to a whole new level. There'll be a, four of us here that all we want to do is hear what's on your mind and try to have conversation around that. So that's always fun. The following Monday, we have a Swedenborg in Life episode called Eight Meditations on Innocence mm. from Emanuel Swedenborg. So we'll have these eight great thoughts with beautiful custom-painted imagery inspired by Swedenborg's words. So that should be great. Have I said the word great enough? I think it's going to be great. <laughs> like and subscribe. That is useful to us. Thank you for everyone who has. And thanks to you, Dr. Jonathan Roos, for coming over thanks, and Curtis. hanging out. Good show. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around, and we'll see you very soon. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner.